What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the show, visit us at Patreon.com. And for as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron. Or you can buy cool Lorehammer products like shirts, coffee mugs, and dice bags at www.redbubble.com. Don't want to spend any money? Well, you can help out the show by giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also hop on over to Facebook and like our page. And feel free to send us a message. It's the only enjoyment Mark gets out of his miserable life. Welcome to Lorehammer. I'm Mark. Uh, today we got a special bonus episode for you. Sadly, Eric won't be joining us today, but we do have a special guest who I've heard a lot about, but never actually had the privilege of recording with before. The man needs a little introduction. Hey everyone, I'm Trevor Buzak. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me on. It's awesome to finally meet you, Mark. I always enjoy every episode you're on. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks man. It's going to be a good episode. Uh, so today's topic is sharing some of my lore uh, that I've written and coming up with for like my different armies that I plan on doing. And I was hoping to bounce some ideas off you, Trevor. Uh, better not be any Primaris lore. <laughs> well, we'll see. I might sneak a bonus Primaris lore in at the end of the episode. So stay stay tuned if you wanna if you wanna hear me fall to horrible horrible Primaris. Okay, sweet. So uh, where do you want to start? Well, Trevor. First, let me explain the idea behind what I'm doing. So basically, I want to have one of every army. Um, there's so many awesome ideas and themes for each of the factions that I just can't collect one. Like some people, they just collect, you know, Tyranids and you look at their army and they have like 4,000 points or let's go crazy. They have 50,000 points of Tyranids. I like, I, I like everything, man. I just want a little bit of everything, you know? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so my plan is to write a 1,500-point list and collect and then paint it before I move on to the next faction. So, so far since 8th edition, like I've been doing this for a year and a half, this kind of concept, um, I've done this three times. So the first one I did was with my Tau, and I started that like, yeah, like a year and a half ago, right around the end of the Tau RPG. Uh, and then I did my Obliterators, and then I did my Tyranid army. So... I kind of, that's, that's what I've done so far. Oh, very cool. Do you got any picks? <laughs> oh, no, not really. I mostly just harass people walking on the sidewalk to look at models, uh, you know, to get the word out. Come into my garage. Come check this out. So it, it's awkward. doesn't work very well, but I should really start posting some online or something. So when you say factions, I'm assuming you're not collecting any, like, Ultramarines, Dark Angel, Space Wolves army. You're just doing one Space Wolf, Space Marine army? Uh, yes and no. Like, when I say factions, I mean, like, the Imperium as a faction. Um, Chaos as a faction. Uh, so for, like, Imperium, I'm just doing, like, a Custom Guard regiment. Oh, yeah, buddy. Love the Guard. There's so much you can do. Can't wait to hear. Well, 
as all things in 40k, they're pretty freaking grim dark, especially the guard. So let's start uh, with a quick, quick recap of what I have. Two of them are pretty well known on the Lorehammer circles, but I don't think I've taught, uh, talked too much about my Tyranids that I've just pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about your Tau a lot. R.I.P. Mom Proz, you did well, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so I told the story on the podcast. Poor guy finally found peace. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> stepped stepped on by an Imperial Knight. Good times. So my tower clone trooper themed army. Uh, go listen to the bonus episode Solar Ray Enclaves to learn more. Or if you really have time, go listen to like the entire Eternal Horizon RPG we did. Um, there, there's so much. <laughs> oh yeah, there's like forty hours of that. I don't. I don't know why people listen to it. It's awful. Well, sound quality is awful. The The next army I did was my Obliterators, which is uh, my Chaos Faction army. And basically, it's a small 10-man squad of Space Marines who get infected with the Obliterator fires and fall to Chaos. We did a bonus episode. Uh, it's called Mark Contracts the Obliterator Virus. And then a buddy, uh, Luke, wrote a short story on them and submitted it for a listener lore. I forget which one that one was, but I think it was called, like, Nekebek Dynasty and Iron Skulls or something. Um, it was me and Eric sharing our, our lore. Yeah, that was a great story. Uh, I heard he was working on part two and three. Yeah, man, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Uh, I heard I heard number two and was very pleased. I can't wait to hear number three and then the lore will be like all wrapped up like a nice little trilogy. Like each one he's writing kind of like from a different point of view. Like the first one was about... Um, like the battle, and then the next one's going to be like the the obliterators on the ship, and kind of like it's a it's a dialogue, and then the third one's going to be like how the cultists feel about the whole situation. So it's pretty cool. I'm considering the very limited amount of information I gave Luke. He did a really good job with it, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, yeah, you should talk to Luke. Yeah, I should talk to Luke. Uh, so so let's talk about my nids real quick. High Fleet Typhon. Wait, before that, let me ask you quickly. Where where do you start when coming up with your lore? Um, well, I guess it usually happens with I find a unit or a playstyle I really like, and then I write something that explains why the army works like that. Um, but I really liked a well-themed army that when you look at it, you can clearly like see the style or flavor of the army. Like my Tau, for instance, uh, it's an armored cadre. So every unit in the list has a transport or is a tank. So right away, you see the style of the army where it's like uh, a mobile uh, tank army, essentially. Yeah, that's cool. So you find something about the faction you like and write about it. Yeah, basically. Like, it's not super complicated. <laughs> Just do things you're interested in. So High Fleet Typhon. Ever since I was a kid, I always wanted, like, a big bug list. I just remember as a kid playing with my buddy's Carnifex, or playing against his Carnifex, and be like, oh, shit, you put the Carnifex down? Like, that thing's gonna fuck me up. Um, like, it, I don't think people quite realize, like, the scale increase of everything in 40k. Like, now you got Imperial Knights running around, but literally back in the day, a Carnifex was, like, the big bad Tyranid model. Um, so 15 years later... Uh, the Nids have even more access access to monster, monstrous creatures. Uh, so I wrote a list that included 10 creatures for 1,500 points, uh, and the smallest one of them being the card effects, which I really like. <laughs> oh, God, you're a monster. <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing what I like. So this list is a Hive Tyrant, Old One-Eye, 
four Carnifexes, a Malceptor, two Exocrines, and a Tyrannofex. And fuck, does that ever look cool to just have, like, the ten really big bugs, you know? Yeah, you gotta post some pictures. Just come over and check them out. So, I know I had a theme of big bugs, and, uh... The list I wrote, uh, it, it got me starting to think about the lore. And when thinking about Nid lore, if you're doing something specific like big bugs or all flying, or really any type of Nid lore, you got to think, like, why did the High Fleet evolve to fight like this? And that made me uh, think, well, big bugs are great at smashing down big walls. So here's my lore. The very first planet in our galaxy, the High Fleet Typhon encountered, was a fortress world of some unknown minor Xenos. It was well protected, and rumored even the Imperium during the Great Crusade couldn't crush the planet. So the Nids land on the planet and start to make contact with the minor Xenos. There, there was a few small skirmishes, but the entire population of the minor Xenos fled and hid in massive continent-sized fortresses, protected by shields, walls, and many guns. So the siege began. The Nids started with their typical approach and attacked the wall with a variety of creatures. And uh, soon the hive mind realized that that wouldn't work, and it adapted its tactics and tried uh, creating millions of smaller creatures to swarm the fortress. This tactic also failed. Adapt, overcome. Uh, the next thing the hive mind tried to do was burrow underneath underneath the fortress, but this didn't come up uh, too well either. You know, they just got gunned down as they popped through, or, you know, they, they, they just got countered at every time they tried to do anything. Um, then they tried infiltration, and still no luck. At this point, the High Fleet was running extremely low on biomass, and decided to do one final attempt to take the fortress. It decided to take all its remaining biomass, and make as many big bugs as it could, and crush the Miner Xenos. It's hard to say if the Minor Xenos was weakened after all the waves of Tyranids, or if uh, this was actually, like, the way that, the best way to destroy the fortress, or, you know, like, how many, how many of the Minor Xenos were still left alive? But either way, regardless, the fortress was crushed and the planet was destroyed. And now this is the High Fleet Typhon's primary way of dealing with threats, using big bugs. Ah, that's very cool. Simple but effective lore. So, so my question becomes: All those big bugs seems like seems like it's overpowered. And I've heard you say on the podcast before, like you gotta have um, you gotta have conflict or a downside. You, you can't just have like a bunch of Mary Sues running around. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I I think I have said something very similar to that before. So, when writing a story, you always need flaws. So. The flaw of High Fleet Typhon is since it's using a large amount of biomass to create these big bugs, it's actually a super high, uh, super small High Fleet because it doesn't... Everything is just so resource-intensive. So it's actually always on the verge of running out of biomass and becoming extinct. Like, every battle could be its last battle because they put everything they have into every battle. Um, yeah, and they just try to just run through the opponent. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Makes sense. It's a very all-or-nothing army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, th there's only so much you can do with Nid lore. Cool. Uh, is there anything else you can share about them? Um, just that I finished this army, and so far, uh, it's my favorite-looking army I've, I, I've done. Um, the Black Chitin and Yellow Stripes, uh, it just looks really good. And then they're on, like, broken, uh, broken concrete bases and stuff, and whew, I really like it. <sighs> Visually, I, I still like Imperial Knights more. 
But if I wasn't such a fanboy, I think the Nids would take it over. They look really good. Oh, man, you just got to post some pictures. I will, I will. Um, I'll get around to it one day. And Social media is scary. There's, I don't know what's happening on there half the time. Okay, so let's, let's get into the next lore. And uh, let's, let's go into what I'm actually working on right now. And that's my Orc Army. Yeah, I heard on the Odd Boys and Odd Boys episode about them and that you were doing Orcarus, the orc who flew too close to the evil suns. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that was my lore, but it has evolved and changed greatly. Um, also, thanks to, uh, to Chris for helping me come up with this kind of idea. He's not completely useless. He does have a lot of cool ideas. Um, just in casual conversation, he's like, you know it would be cool? To do an all-orc air force. So... That was the jumping off point, and that's kind of, that was the, the, that was what I needed to do this. I'm like, yeah, that would be fucking cool. So I took it and ran with that idea from there. From there. That might have been Christian's only worthwhile thing that he's ever done. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> so here's what I came up with for the lore. I know I wanted to do an all-orc flying list, so I just need to think of something cool for why that's a thing. So, Guzrux Skyboys. Guzruk was an orc stormboy who served with the stormboys since his rebellious youth. But as he became older, the drills and organization of the stormboys became less enjoyable to him. But he still did he still did like using his rocket pack to fly across war zones into his enemies. He was eventually kicked out of the stormboys because he didn't polish his boots well enough, which of course led him to replace his legs with bionic power claw feet because the metal is always shiny. <laughs> I, I would try to do an orc voice, but Maybe, Trevor, you want to try? The metal is always shiny. Well, that was kind of more chaos-y. I, I don't know. I'm not a ventri ventriloquist. No. That's something. Anywho, and since he was uh, still an odd boy at heart, because more, most orcs don't trust anyone who uh, don't keep both feet on the ground, Guzrox became a free Buddha and traveled the galaxy as an orc mercenary. He had many adventures, blah, blah, blah. Not important. That's not, that's not the key to this story. But eventually, he did come across the Great Warp Rift, Gork's Grin, and thought, I bet there's some good teeth in there. So he decided to strap on his rocket pack, open the airlock doors of the ship, uh, while he was, uh, <laughs> he opened the door of the ship he was on, and tried to fly into the mouth of Gork's Grin to get rich. As he entered the Warp Rift, Gork's Grin... Uh, funny things started to happen to him. He started getting visions of laughing and smiling orcish face faces. This only happened for moments before he was sucked deep into the warp and vomited out on the other side of the galaxy, nowhere near Gork's grin. But with this vision of Gork smiling upon Guzrux, uh, he knew his life's calling. He was Gork's prophet and was destined to be the first orc to fly through Gork's grin. So he joined another free Buddha band, because now he's on the other side of the galaxy, nowhere near the, the warp rift, and traveled back to the one end of the galaxy, back to Gork's Grin. Uh, upon arriving, once again, he strapped on his rocket pack, leaving his ship, and fly into the warp rift. <laughs> Each time, he lasts a little longer and gets a little further through the, lift, the, the rift before being spat out across the galaxy. Each time, he sees the laughing, grinning faces of the warp, uh, laughing, finning laughing grinning faces in the warp and his god gork slowly rumors spread about guzrux through orc society so each time he uh he reappears it gets easier for him to trans uh, get transport back to gork's grin to repeat his 
quest. Uh, eventually, he was able to start his own wog of orcs who wished to fly with him through Gorksgrin. And uh, yeah, they, you know, they all are flying because they all want to fly with him through the Grin. And that's the tale of Guzrak's uh, Sky Boys. <laughs> that is some mad orc lore right there. So he's just flying through the Sycadictus Maledictum over and over, only to be flung across the galaxy to start a new wog of flying orcs. So it, it makes me wonder, is he actually Gork's uh, prophet somehow? Or how is he being kept safe in the warp? Uh, well, remember those smiling faces? Yeah, that's not Gork. Those are just demons. Uh, he's not safe. He has to fight off demons the whole time he's in Gork's grin. Uh, but to him, that's just a good time and part of Gork's blessing upon him. Like, <laughs> like, like orcs are so used to conflict, he doesn't even bring up the fact that he, like, when he goes in, he ha- he has to fight for his life. That's just par for the course. <laughs> that seems fun for him. Yeah, freaking orcs, man. But yeah, that's my orc army I'm currently working on. Um, the list is pretty simple. Uh, it's all flying orcs. I'm not 100% sold on what I'm doing. I I got like 90% of my list that I want to do. I'm kind of still tweaking it. But it's basically going to be, this is for sure, it's going to be that war boss with the rocket pack. Um, he's a named character. I forget his name. And then 60 storm boys. And then three orc airplanes. And then that gives me basically like 250 points. I'm not totally sure what I'm going to do with. I might toss in some death copters. I might put in a war copter. Um, I'm still playing around with the list a little bit. But uh, I've actually bought all 60 Storm Boys on, and the War Boss. And two planes now. So the army's coming along. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun to play. <laughs> yeah, 60 Storm Boys arriving turn two. Declaring charges is going to be wild. But yeah, that's them. Cool, cool. Uh, what's next? Well, let's talk about my Eldar army. I think I mentioned them before, so uh, I forget which episode, but it was probably on an Eldar episode, I'd imagine. But uh, this idea was actually brainstormed between me and my buddy Matt. UK Matt? Oh yeah, the one and only. Huh, fucking UK Matt, I like him. I wish he moved to Canada. Yeah, I never got to meet him when he was here. Well, you know. Shoulda. Great guy. Love that guy. So basically... He wanted to do an all Wraith Guard Eldar army, which coincidentally, I love the idea of it. So we we got brainstorming, and here's what we came up with. Craftworld Crepitus. While the Craftworld Eldar have always been overly sensitive, especially in war, to the point of having to create war masks to keep their precious, precious minds safe from the horrors of battle, Craftworld Crepitus takes it one step further. After a particularly brutal and horrific battle against a sloth, sloth? Hmm, I don't know. I'm not sure how you say it. It's that weird, like, maggot alien race that, like, eats brains and it, it truly horrifying stuff. One of the crazier races in 40k. Um, Craftworld Crepitus swore an oath of pacifism. Like, the battle was so hor- horrific that they, they're just like, we can't do war anymore. What a bunch of Nazis. Come on, man. Don't interrupt me, Trevor, when I'm talking. So the craft world took over uh, an oath of nonviolence, and in 40k, that's never going to work out well. So for centuries, the uh, craft world, every time they encountered a hostile race, they fled from them, often taking heavy casualties in the process because they just refused to fight back. So this had a profound effect on the craft world's infinity circuit, and over time, the older spirits, particularly Eldar who fell while on the path of the warrior millennia ago, became increasingly aggressive. 
The older spirits started seeing the younger, living craft worlders as weak and realized that this pacifism attitude would be the death of the craft world. The spirits eventually became restless enough and started to lash out in the form of entering wraith constructs without the guidance of spirit seers. The first large possession of the wraith constructs constructs happened in a battle against some orcs who were trying to loot the craft world. Hundreds of uh, wraith contracts start, constructs start marching through the craft world, cleansing its in, cleansing it of it. Wow, cleansing it of its invaders. Uh, the war was won and the craft world survived, but the aftermath was not what was expected. The wraith constructs declared martial law on the craft world and basically started treating the living Eldar on the craft world as foolish children who would rather see their race die uh, than get their hands dirty in war. The race seers took control of all major decisions made by the craft world as the current timeline, and as of the current timeline with wraith constructs, they are still in control of the craft world, uh, keeping the living on a tight leash while they wage wars in the name of the race's survival. Oh, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm glad you picked up on the millennial versus boomer boomer vibes there. Uh, the older generation is always strongest. Greatest generation of them all. <laughs> no, it's cool. So, so your army list, I'm assuming, is all race. Well, well ah, I I wish I could, but uh, I do have a spirit seer and a bone singer in the list. But I promise you, I won't ever use. Any, I won't ever roll an attack roll with them. They're just there for moral and buffing support. Like you can't, like none of my lists are really viable. But without without a spirit seer, it, it would be so tough to do. Um, so the list is a wraith wraith seer, fifteen wraith guard, two warlord or wraith lords, a wraith knight, a spirit seer, and a bone singer. As of conversions, uh, I would buy some ghosts from the Age of Sigmar. I forget what they're called. Um, and I would glue them onto the wraith constructs to, to show like the spirits inside are like super restless and hostile. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, well, to be honest, that one was Matt's idea. He actually made, uh, <laughs> he was working on like a fully, uh, on a full 1500 point list, like the same one pretty much that I did. And when he came to Canada, we were going to actually battle each other, but neither of us finished the army we were working on. Um, but he did finish a couple, and they looked pretty fucking sweet. The The race were like a bone color with green helmets, and then that green uh, kind of translucent ghosty green ghost flesh color uh, like on top, and it it was really nice. I, I quite liked it, so I'm still in, I'm still in the army idea because I really like it. Nice, nice. Yeah, so uh, that, that's the Eldar. Um, there's not really a lot to say that the, the Wraith contracts are just now in control of the craft world, doing what they want to do, and that involves going to war an awful lot. So uh, let's jump into the Eldar's evil relatives, the Jakari. Uh, did my last episode on Homunculus Coven win you over to do an army on them? No, well, that would be awesome. I really do like the homunculus covens. I have more singular tastes. So I've always liked the idea of incubi. So in a typical Mark fashion, I wanted to do an all incubi army. You you can definitely pick up on the themes I'm doing. Like, it's usually one unit. <laughs> yeah, geez, you're nothing if not consistent. Yeah, my parents did a number on me in childhood. They... My mom's German, she's very organized, Every, everything in a place and every place has a thing and whatnot. So I can't just do Incubi, I always have to have my unique twist or flavor to the army. 
Uh, Incubi work in very, I'll, I'll give you some context here just about Incubi. Uh, they work in a very similar way to Craft World Eldar Aspect Warriors, and it's rumored that they actually were a fallen aspect of uh, the Avatar of War Kane, where Incubis have. Sh- Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Shrines and different shrines have different colors, traditions, and styles, so they're very much like an aspect of Cain, and they have shrines, and each shrine kind of has some variation to it. Um... So I started to create the shrine they came from, my incubi. It's called the Shrine of the Blade Sisters. I'll give you a spoiler right away, but uh, they're all females in the shrine. It's an all-female shrine. So typically, incubi are depicted as male, and as far as I'm aware, there aren't any female incubi. But this isn't like Space Marines where they can't be... It's not like Games Workshop has said there can't be female Space Marines. It's not like they've said they can't be female incubi. I think it's probably just... They, they haven't modeled any that way. Like, there's nothing, you know. But, uh, so the way the, the Shrine of the Blade Sisters came about is an Incubi warrior had a trueborn daughter and taught her the ways of the blade. So upon his death, she took up his sword and armor and founded the Shrine of the Blade Sisters. So it has two factors that contribute to the amount of mercenary work the Shrine gets. Yeah, so mer- uh, Incubi work as mercenaries uh, for the Drakari, which is worth knowing because that really plays into what I'm writing. (laughs) Um, So first, it's a relatively new shrine and is yet to prove themselves as capable warriors. And the second is the shrine is completely made of females. So basically, um, it has limited work in the shrine and is usually seen going on raids by itself. because they still have bills to pay, they still need souls to feed on. Plus, it's a way, uh, great name, wow, great way to spread their fame and worth when they come back from a raid with a big haul. As for being all females, this also plays into the lack of work because most archons, archons see the women as inferior warriors. Uh, as a way to prove that the incubi from the shrine are just as good as their male counterparts, um, instead of the t- typical tradition, of incubi killing an aspect warrior to be inducted the women from the shrine will challenge male incubi from another shrine to single combat and only if they win uh will they be allowed to join the shrine of the blade sisters so the goal of the shrine of the blade sisters is to build a name and reputation for uh, for themselves as being capable incubi warriors 
but as like right now they're basically just fighting all the shrine is always just fighting by itself yeah they gotta fight that patriarchy too <laughs> yeah yeah something like that so the shrine is small but capable um but doesn't have a lot of mercenary contracts so they just go out on raiding parties by themselves uh yeah exactly they got a couple ships and some able-bodied women um and that's enough like so my list is like this isn't the whole shrine but this is what my list kind of includes um and it probably could almost really in theory be the whole shrine and they just yeah it could be maybe it is my whole shrine um but basically my list is drazar uh 10 incubi and a tantalus I fucking love the Tantalus. Oh, I know. That's what made me want to do this army. Is I uh, a buddy of mine showed me the Tantalus model. I've never never seen it before. Like, and this was within the last six months. I'm like, I fucking love that. I need one. So that's what sprung this whole army into being. So it's ten incub incubi and a Tantalus, 20, 20 incubi in like two raiders, ten in each, and two reapers. So it's a very mobile army that gets up and close, up and close and personal. So conversion-wise, I'm assuming you're going to get out that green stuff and go to town on the boob plates, eh? <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to make a, a mold of... <laughs> I was, I was going to do illegal activities. I was going to make a mold of the female Cabalite Warrior Torso and then use Incubi legs and arms. I was uh, kind of debating if I wanted to use the Scourge's head uh, to kind of keep that uh, demon head aesthetic that the Incubi are known for. But the Scourge's kind of have like a more female look like th their faces still look demonic but it's way more round and it kind of has like long hair jutting out the back um and then i was also debating giving them a cape and a high collar piece from the age of sigmar um shadow elves box shadow warrior box i forget what it's called but like it would look very cool so it it's basically a cape and it has like a collar that would cover basically their whole mouth um yeah, and it goes all the way all the way around their head. It looks very very cool. Oof. Yeah, that sounds expensive. That's a lot of different kits you'd have to buy. Well, you know, that's the price of greatness. You got to spend that money to make that. I don't know. I don't fucking know. So why why all females? Well, it's probably because it's the closest thing I'll ever get to actually being around one. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that you fucking weirdo. Well. Yeah, no, the, the all-female thing was just, like, I really like Think Incubi, and uh, I, I just wanted to put my own unique twist on it, and, yeah, you just don't see female Incubi, so I thought that would be kind of a cool twist. Yeah, 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 no, that, I like it, I like it. So, you ready for the next army? Oh, there's more? How many do you got? Uh, there's two more, and then maybe that bonus Primaris one. That's fucked, bud, but carry on. So, Necron. So, I briefly talked about this one, I think, in the Necron Tomb World episode. I'm pretty sure it was on that. Um, but I've really liked the idea of uh, all... Con uh, sorry. I really like the idea of a... <laughs> hmm. I, I wrote some notes here, so I wouldn't lose where I am, but even my notes are tough to read. <laughs> I really like the idea of a master program. Uh... And I've also always liked the idea of canoptic constructs and uh, you don't <laughs> and of you don't know where it's going if you have been. <laughs> wow. Good job, Mark. You're really you're quite the competent author. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So so let me guess. Uh, 
a rogue master program that uses only canoptic creatures to try and destroy everything in the galaxy. That's kind of what you're going for with that remark. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's basically it. Uh, the only thing you missed was why did it go rogue? Uh, I like to think that over 60 million years, the master program seen like all the harm sentient life was capable of doing and decided that it needed to just dis- destroy it all, uh, including the Necron. Like while most of the races like, not sentient they still make mistakes sentient races do so when the timer for the necron uh, on his tomb world so when the timer for the necron on his tomb world t- went off uh the master program basically hit the snooze button and instead made an army of canoptic creatures to go out into the galaxy to purge it of life so this isn't really a necron army at all then technically yeah i, I guess technically not like there's no Necron in my list. Um, yeah. And I guess, yeah, I guess technically, no, it's not. Uh, it's not really a Necron army. Uh, well, would you ever consider instead of the Master Program killing the Necron on his tomb world, uh, that the Necron would just damage and unable to be awoken? Why, why that as opposed to what I said? Well, the rogue AI... Um, Bent on destroying every seems everything seems kind of cliche. Like it happens so many times. Plus then you can still work with Necron if you want to further their goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, since you call me out on being cliche, maybe I will change it. Yeah, because you're right. There's so many movies where it's the fucking rogue AI and they just hate all life. It's too common. So tell me about your list, because I know Eric bitches about there not being a canoptic construct HQ. So how do you get around that? <laughs> well, you tell that dumb bitch that conversions and count as are a thing. Uh, basically, I'm using uh, rules for the overlord on the command barge, but I'm going to uh, convert it to look like a giant scarab. Like, I got the image in my mind. Uh, I was going to use, like, the Triox stalker legs and the Necron flyer main, like, main section as the carapace top. But uh, lore-wise, this was going to be the master program's, like, temporary body. (laughs) Eric, that tight ass needs to relax, uh, because that sounds super cool. Yeah, I I can picture it in my head. I just got to work out, like, the small details. Like, uh, yeah, I I can just picture, like, this many-legged, like, think a giant scarab, essentially. So, the rest of the list is nine scarab swarms, a tomb spider, a tomb sentinel, six race and i'm gonna do like that conversion eric did where they're like scorpions um and a seraptic heavy construct oof that seraptic is a crazy model yeah yeah no it's gonna make a great centerpiece as well as a huge fire magnet i don't know if it's gonna survive ever so the big question is what color of energy are you gonna use uh i was thinking of like an ice blue kind of color and then just silver the armor with gold accents like very subtle gold mostly silver uh very basic but uh i really want to learn how to do energy effects and lighting effects and stuff with the blues to make everything come alive so everything will be like kind of glowing and kind of have that like blue hue to it yeah that'd be cool i just picture the lich king ice ice magic color yeah yeah no exactly like that like streaking blue ice blue color anything else about them uh not really too much master programs who necrons were unable to be awoken now serves other dynasties by using canoptic constructs that's 
It's kind of what I'm going for. Oh, I, I guess uh, I forgot to mention the name. Um, the name of the Master Programs Dynasty is going to be the Machina Dynasty. Uh, Machina Machine. You see the connection? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I picked up on that. <laughs> so so, what's your final lore? <clears throat> so it's going to be uh, my Imperium Army. And even though technically, like, I do have fourteen thousand points of Imperial Knights, uh, that's the only army I collect to not play. But I want an army that, when you look at it, it's more visibly Imperium slash humanity, and not just giant robots. And I wanted like an Imperial army that I actually wanted to play with. I don't want to play with my knights, and not I don't find them fun to play with. Yeah, fair enough. So, is this your Primaris idea then? <laughs> Fuck no, get a grip, bud. I'm doing a custom guard regiment. Uh, they're called the Paradisium Heavy Drop Regiment, or Paradisium Heavy Drop Infantry. Oh, my wife just texted me. She's wondering what I'm doing. She doesn't know I have people over, but whatever. Um, yeah, the Paradisium Heavy Drop Infantry. Um, so the planet Paradisium, as the, main, the name implies, was a beautiful, verdant, tropical paradise world whose inhabitants were mostly honored and retired officers of various guard regiments or, you know, imperial nobles or whatever. Although it does have a native population as well, like, um, like you know, the, the, the guard officers go there and they have children or whatever. Um, not like natives, like tribal natives or anything like that. Um, yeah, so brought into the fold of the Imperium during the Great Crusade, the planet was a beacon for hope and remained untouched by war for 10,000 years. That's until the Great Rift opened up, and with many plagues brought on by Mertarion, one such plague devastated the population of Paradisium. It has affected the entire population on a genetic level. The disease remains dormant until around the age of, of 30, and then boils start to appear on the flesh, and the the flesh like completely decays off the bone, killing the subject within a year of the first uh, physical symptom signs. Uh, this became a death sentence for the world as nothing could be done and it's passed on from parents to children. It was at this point the population decided to march to war against the enemies of the Imperium since they were doomed to die young anyways. Uh, first step was to, was to secure war gear for their army. Since it was a paradise world, unblemished by mining operations, factories, or anything like that, the people of Paradisium made a deal with the Mechanicum and they, that the Mechanicum can use the natural resources of the planet to equip their guard regiments in return to equipping their guard regiment, um, to which the Mechanicum happily agreed, like an untouched world. That's super rare. So over the course of 25 years, the planet was turned from a pristine world into a world scarred by resource output. You know, they're just strip mining everything, cutting down entire forests, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the people of the planet formed the Paradisium Heavy Drop, inf Drop Infantry. The elite army were, they're all equipped by the Mechanicum and near suicidal in fighting style. So they're super well equipped and they're crazy fighters, like crazy good well no they're they're good they're elites but uh they they're just crazy they're suicidal so the main tactics tactic is jumping out of aircraft to unleash blasts of volatile plasma weaponry as well as hot shot las guns and they're supported by drop sentinels so they don't have tanks they don't have you know anything too crazy like that um so doomed to die they vowed 
to go out taking the enemies of man with them. Over the course of a hundred years, the world's mindset changed from like a relaxed, easygoing people into like this death cult where the only worthwhile way to live was dying in the guard. Like everything shifted into that death cult idea. Um, they even have like a model like first to die is like the most honored thing. So when they're all jumping out of the ship, out of the the Valkyries to to enter a war zone, the first one to kind of get shot down is like cheered like he's the one yeah like it's just this huge death cult essentially <laughs> oh my well that turned bleak really quick ah yeah 40k 40k is not a nice place so is there a limited number of these guys then like since they die so young are they all and they all join the guard like do, is there 10,000 of them and then that's that's it and they're done and they're just traveling the galaxy uh no maybe i didn't add that part but the population is still on paradisium uh, like training and reproducing. So basically their whole life revolves around joining the guard and men join the guard around 20 and then women join around 25 because the average age of death is like 30. So they train until they're that age. They have a couple kids and then they join the guard and then women join a little later just so they have a couple more years to, to repopulate or whatever. So then they join. So the population continues on, but literally all they do is train for war. Uh, when they're old enough to go to war, they go to war crazy so what what rules are you using for them are you are you doing like elysian drop troops uh well i haven't fully written the list out yet but uh the idea is running them as tempesta scions because i love that like elite they're better and they have more special weapons and they're yeah they're just a little harder hitting elites heavier army armor they're just they're just better um so <laughs> the one thing is they Every special weapon in the army is going to be a plasma gun because they don't care if it blows up in their face. And you better believe, like, every time I shoot it, I'm going to overcharge it, even if it's not the good move. Because it's just like they're just so eager to just <laughs> die for the emperor. Uh, and then I'll have some drop sentinels with plasma guns. And uh, I might do some admech support, like some tech priests and servitors, because, like, somebody. I don't know, the Mechanicum is, like, on their planet now, so I might do a little bit. I wouldn't do, like, Skatari or anything, but maybe just, like, a couple HQs or something. I'd have to kind of play around with it. But uh, basically, the idea of the army is that half of it will start on the board, and then the other half is just going to deep stripe into a glorious rapid-fire range, <laughs> which is going to be funny. Uh, just, yeah, unloading a bunch of plasma guns. It'll be fun. Yeah, better to die for the emperor than live for yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. That's that's what I'm thinking. So, uh, yeah, that's basically all I got for you. Those are my foreseeable goals in 40k. Uh, collect those armies, get them all painted. Uh, it takes me about six months to do a 1,500-point army, um, or at least that's kind of how it worked out for my last three armies. Like, yeah, my, my nids took a little less time. Um, like when I'm doing my orcs, 60 storm boys, that's going to take a little more time, but basically half a year. So th this is a many year plan that I'm doing here. Ooh, busy boy. So now, now the one thing everyone has been waiting for, Mark's breaking his vows and, uh, going against the not doing Primaris army and succumbing to the Primaris. Tell us about your Primaris bonus lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay, so I figured the only way to really move on with my life and to get over my hatred of Primaris is to actually do a Primaris army and just accept it and move on. But, you know, I have to have my own twist, so here it is. Yeah, yeah, go on.
So the chapter was made during the Ultima founding, along with many other chapters. They came from the Imperial Fist gene stock, and so the Imperial Fist offered a veteran sergeant uh, to the chapter to lead them in war since the Primaris had yet to have any battlefield experience. Diomedes was the Astartes chosen for this task. He served for over 300 years in the Imperial Fist Scout Company, leading new recruits and training them, and was more than thrilled at the thought of leading a bunch of new Astartes. So the chapter is basically a fleet-based chapter, fleet-based chapter, and when Diomedes arrived on the flagship, he was taking stock of uh, what was assigned to him. Squad after squad of Primaris approached him and did like a roll call. So the first squad's like, we are intercessors. We intercede for the emperor. And the next squad's like, we're aggressors because no enemy will es- escape our aggressive advance. And the next one's like, we're incursors because our enemies are cursed to face us. And the, another one's like, we're the hell blasters because we blast our enemies right to hell. And Diomedes listening to all this and he, f- he, he's, he finally loses his patience and snaps. Patience and snaps. And he's like, you're all a bunch of children. You know nothing of war. Forget everything you know. The old ways are what kept the Imperium alive for 10,000 years. I don't care what you think you are. When I'm done with you, you will be tactical marines, assault marines, or devastators. You will be my fists. So he named the chapter Diomedes Fists and reorganized them uh, the, old, the way the old Codex Astartes did it. So a standard company would have six tactical squads, uh, two assault squads and two devastator squads. <laughs> I <laughs> look. I I'll never like Primaris Marines. I'm never gonna enjoy their lore. I'm never gonna enjoy their their fucking models or anything. Um, one of the things I hate a lot about them is just how goofy their names and their roles are. Like, oh, intercessors. Like they're supposed to be this tactical army, but. They just don't feel like they fit together. Like when you look at the old Space Marines, you could see how it kind of worked. You know, you had tactical squads and then you had devastator squads to support them and you had assault squads to go flank the enemy. You could kind of, you could get a feel for the army and how it actually went together and worked as an army. With, with Primaris, it's just like, oh, okay, so what, why are there, incursors and what's the role of aggressors and there's no hard numbers on how many things there are it just feels like they're just making up new roles as they feel like it there's no it just doesn't feel like a fluid army um so i want to go back to the old way everything worked together because i really liked old space marines uh so this army won't be playable because i'm gonna make primaris tactical squad which means like a sergeant um and then a special weapon and a heavy weapon and like seven bolter guys. And like my assault Marines are going to have jump packs, chain swords and bolt pistols. Like you can't do any of this. You know, my devastators are going to have multi-melters, las cannons, plasma cannons, all those, all those old school, badass heavy weapons. Like now, like your heavy support is like, here's your fucking hell blasters. And it's like, well, maybe all multi-melters are going to be better. Or maybe all heavy bolters are going to be better. So basically, you're spitting on Primaris lore and stuff. You just want you just wanted updated models. It, yeah, exactly. I want to collect a full company. Like, I want 100 Marines as kind of a homage to the long lost time where Astartes were actually cool. Ah, you sir are a stubborn loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so basically, that's Diomedes' fists. Um, like this is gonna be the very last army I ever do. 
Well, no, no, sorry, let's not get carried away. Um, after I do all the other armies I've talked about in this episode, then I'm going to do a full company of uh, these Space Marines or whatever. Um, so we're talking, you know, many years down the road. Uh, plans might change by then. Who knows? Maybe maybe Primaris might get some cool models like uh, Assault Marines or, you know, they might... <sighs> I might warm up to them. Who knows? Hard to say. Probably not, though. Cool. Uh, well, do you want to hear... Lore for my army? I, I've actually written up some lore I'd like to share. <laughs> nah, sorry, Trevor. We're actually all out of time. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you have any feedback or would like to know more about any of these armies, let me know. Um, I'm happy to always talk. Or, if, you know, if you have your listener lore, send that in. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, email. Um, I'm always around. Uh, support us on Patreon. We're still looking for more don- more donations so we can get that camera and video quality up and going. Um, yeah, yeah, that's going to be sweet when that happens. So, Trevor, thanks for joining me. Um, it was it was nice to finally meet you and do an episode with with you. <sighs> Mark, you're a weird, weird man. Jordan. Oh yeah, girl. Oh <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.